0: The gospel lesson is taken from John's gospel, chapter 12, verses 20 through 33. This is the gospel of our Lord. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee with a request. "'Sir,' they said, "'we would like to see Jesus.'" Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it said it was thunder. Others said an angel had spoken to them. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of the world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death that he was going to die. The word of the Lord. I remember one of our recent presidents saying when his poll numbers fell below 40%, which is kind of a magic number, I guess, in polling, 40% uh, favorables, uh, said that he was not concerned about uh, what was said in the newspapers, uh, but he would leave uh, his presidency for history to judge. By the judgment of history, I think one of the great presidents has to be George Washington. He looks better and better and better with the passage of time, doesn't he? He was a great leader. He was a man of considerable grace. He was uh, kind to those who were around him, but firm, as they knew when he took command of the armies. He was, by the way, a devout Christian that often uh, by the secular world is said, no, he was simply a deist, but they must not have read his diaries. He also had a wonderful sense of humor. On one occasion, when sitting at dinner with his back to the fireplace, he became so uncomfortable with the heat that he got up and moved to the other end of the table. And one of his guests joked, that it was only right and proper for a general to be able to stand fire. But, retorted Washington, it doesn't look good if he receives it from behind. (laughs) Yes, history is a judge. Not the daily partisan commentary that we uh, hear every day and are exposed to. That's not much of a judgment. But the long view, the view of history certainly is a judge, and it has its ability to, shift, to sift out the wheat from the chaff. But in this sermon today, I want you to see that history itself has a judge. The judge in this case is the cross of Jesus Christ. In the cross of Jesus Christ, we find a judgment of this world, its course, its person's. Everything about it falls under the judgment of Jesus Christ. So in this sermon today, I want you to see that in and by the cross of Christ, the course of this world and the actors upon the stage of this world are all judged by the cross of Jesus Christ. To be sure, it is not just, if you will, when we think of the cross, a piece of wood. It is not just simply a certain configuration of a piece of wood that actually judges, no, not in the least. What the cross is, is shorthand for the suffering and death of our Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. And so it is to this cross that I refer to, and that is the cross that Jesus bore when he suffered and died for our sins. For it is through him and him alone that we, find this judgment upon the world. Nothing, however, that Jesus said or did uh, in any way uh, disputes this fact. We come to this passage, and he obviously is quite conscious of what his death is going to mean. And I want you to look at what he says when his disciples are there with him. Remember that he now has a crush of persons, people all about who want to see him, We would see Jesus. Everybody wanted, if you will, a piece of him at this point uh, for different reasons. Some simply wanted to come and to see him and to hear his teaching and what authority he taught with. And others, though, actually wanted to put him to death. Even in his life, it was a kind of judgment. It was a judgment for those who were drawn to him and it was a judgment for those who repelled by him. How much more then would the cross His cross be a judgment upon this world. I want you to look at uh, chapter 12, verses 30 and 32, which really is the heart of what I want to speak about here today. And when you turn uh, to verses 30 and 32, you hear it very succinctly put uh, how Jesus understood himself and his mission. Jesus said in verse 30, This voice... Was for your benefit, not mine. Now, he says, now is the time for judgment upon this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death that he was going to die. A powerful statement. He clearly understood uh, what his mission was and what his cross would end up in, what his life would end up in. It would be on a cross. Jesus gives us a picture then of his coming death. He was quite aware of it. He was aware of all of the dynamics around him. He surely felt keenly the hostility uh, that was shown to him almost on every occasion by the temple leaders. But he also understood Uh, those who uh, came to hear him, those who were hungry, and those who sought out meaning for life. Uh, This innocent man finally was to be judged himself. And notice he was judged to be evil by the temple authorities and the Romans, judged to be evil, a man, an evil man, a criminal. And um, it would subject Him to crucifixion, crucifixion, which was a humiliating death, and it was carried out by cruel and wicked men. But it is also true, it is also true that those who crucified Him were also sealing their own judgment, and the entire course of human history would be judged by that act. Make no mistake, the cross of Christ was not just simply shadow boxing. Some people begin to look at the Gospels and think, well, it was also neat and pristine. My friend, you're not reading the scriptures correctly. Jesus' suffering was real, and his cross was real, and it was an agony that he must go through. It was not sheer <coughs> shadow boxing. Maybe some of you not familiar with sports terms don't know what shadow boxing is. But it's when a boxer, maybe before the match, is really underway, stands before a mirror and, and, and boxes and throws punches to see how his punches look to himself. And he no doubt feels, man, like a million bucks. Look at me, look at my style. But he's yet to be punched. And that's when the real, the real agony begins. Jesus suffered truly in his humanity. And it was an agonizing death. And it was a humiliating death. You might say that Jesus also went through a death that you and I cannot go through, the dimensions of suffering that He went through. Jesus went through our hell for us in a real sense that we might not experience hell. Notice the Lord's words as He was facing the cross. Look at verses 27 and 28 in the passage that we have here. And in chapter 12, verse 27, Jesus says this, "'Now my heart,' My heart is troubled. My heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. It was a dread on his part. How would you like to live your life knowing that in a few short days, your life would come to an end, and it would not come to an end with you passing away in your sleep? But it will come to an end in an agonizing and awful way. He prayed that this cross, if you will, might pass from him. But notice what he says. Father, save me from this hour. No, he said, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your holy name. Jesus taught us to pray, not my will be done, but yours And here in this example that we have here, in his own words, he is fulfilling that in his own life. Jesus in his cross suffered as much as any man could and more. What is the more? The more is simply that the righteous suffered for the unrighteous. And the more is that this pure being suffered in our place And the sins of the world and the wrath of God were poured out upon him in a way that we do not understand. Only heaven between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the divine counsel, understood. But we do not really. And yet it was for us and for our salvation. Make no mistake, though, we can understand this, that the cross is a kind of judgment upon the sin of this world. And yet the cross itself is God's judgment upon this world. I want you to notice that. He says that clearly in verse 31, and let me read it again. In 31, he says that the cross is a kind of judgment upon this world. Now, he says, is the time for judgment. Now is the time for the judgment of this world. I was given a copy of the New York Times. I don't take it. If I read it, I have to be given a copy. And uh, I was given a copy by my wife who takes it uh, at her work. I guess they have to take it, I don't know. But I was given a copy of the New York Times and, and she gave it to me because in this section of the paper there was an article about human nature and it was written by David Brooks who is the token conservative for the New York Times Uh, But David Brooks is quite sophisticated when it comes uh, to theology. He is, I believe, a Jewish author and columnist, but he also reads an awful lot of Christianity, and he seems to me to relish reading some Christian readers that you read. He reads C.S. Lewis and many other people. But anyway, David Brooks wrote on human nature. And in the essence, the article was talking about that maybe the old view of human nature was really the view that most fits the modern world, not the new view. What is the new view? Well, you're okay, I'm okay. What is the new view? Well, we, we all simply make mistakes. Uh, we don't really sin. We don't really invoke the wrath of God with our behaviors. The new view holds that if we can just get the structures of society right, then you'll be okay. You see, the sin is in the structures, the way we form things. It's not in you. And if we can get that right and get society right, then you'll just be fine. I'll I'll say more about that in a moment. The old view he called the Calvinistic view, where in fact there was a real fall and we are depraved in all of our parts. We do not think as we should think. Our emotions are not responsive in the way that they should be. Our wills are curved in upon ourselves and we are egocentric in our drive to please ourselves. This is the old view. Well, it happens to be, of course, the biblical view. This is the view that allows us to make sense of why Jesus' cross is a judgment. God, in His Son exposes the world for what it is and what it deserves. The old view really is the true view. And it is the only view that really explains the excessive amount of human suffering and evil that's in this world. It's a realistic view. And it's a realistic view because it deals with the way we really are. As Martin Luther said, we are simul usus et peccator, which means we are sinner and saint at the same time. You can go from doing a kind act to roughing somebody up with your words in a heartbeat, can't you? Why is that? Why is that? How do you explain the awful murders, the taking of human life? How do you explain the things that happen in our world? My friend, we need to understand it from this old view that we indeed are judged by the cross of Christ. And it is through the cross of Christ that we are delivered and forgiven our sins, but it is also the cross of Christ that some say no to and say, let our sins be upon our head. No, Jesus' cross is indeed a judgment. And it is through that cross that Christians finally understand that we deserve to be punished and we deserve the judgment that we receive. But it is through that cross also is the way of salvation. Oh, my friend, no wonder he goes on to say, lift high the cross. Lift high the cross. It is not only a judgment upon this world, but it is the way of salvation. And if you confess your sins, and you hear me say this almost every Sunday, if you confess your sins, he is faithful, and he is just to forgive you of your sins. It is the way of the cross that leads home our Heavenly Father. That's why the cross is such a powerful symbol. But let me also say that it is through the cross that, if you will, uh, the prince of the air, the prince of this world has been judged. The prince of this world is judged, says the scripture, if you read it there. I was asked a couple years ago, I can remember clearly a young person asked me, do you believe in ghosts? And I said, well, no, not really. But I do believe in fallen angels that rebelled against God. And the young person says, well, I really don't believe all that stuff. And I said, well, you believe in ghosts, yes. But you don't believe in God and all that stuff. No. And uh, the words spoken by, uh, by Chesterton, I believe, or others, that when people cease to believe in God, they begin to believe in everything. Now, you think about that. That's, that's brilliant. When people cease to believe in God, they begin to believe in everything. They become more and more superstitious. More and more things appeal to them that do not stand the test of reason or experience. Because it's a delusional world for them, they've yet to really enter into the real world. It's a world of magic. It's the world of make-belief. But if you've entered into the real world, indeed, my friend, you can feel the, the the power of the prince of this world, who works in our world. Yes, I do believe that sin and evil begin in the spiritual realm. Now, this is a fascinating thing. How you view the world is very important. And very often we find that in those societies, for instance, that believe that they are still subject to the prince of this world, there is a lot of fear. We've talked a lot uh, in recent weeks about uh, a certain country. I won't mention it. Uh, why does not it improve? why why can missionaries go there by the tens of thousands and American money and European money is showered upon this little country and it never seems to make improvement? The reason might be a very deep spiritual reason. It is that you have to change the mindset of the people who believe that they are subjected to the powers which are external. who believe that they're helpless and victims. You say, well, that's that little country down there that's not too far from the U.S. borders. But my friend, let me say this, that we have become a nation of victims. We have a sense of powerlessness in this land today. We've taken everything that is a real evil and we've turned it, if you will, into something that must be treated through therapy. Now I'm not opposed to therapy. Some of you are in the business. I'm not opposed to therapy. Provided it's linked with reason and experience of the real world. But we've we've medicalized everything. Everything that we used to think was a sin has now been medicalized and it's not your problem, it's something that just came up on you from the outside. It just leaped up on you like maybe a panther hiding in the bushes. And you're not really responsible. My friend, what does that kind of worldview produce? It produces fear. It produces inaction. It produces victimhood. And the rate we are spending money in this country, we are continuing that process. In all these programs that seem to be so unrealistic and never really work but none of them ever go away. They just pile up year after year after year. What is true is that the cross of Jesus Christ has judged the prince of this world. What the cross of Jesus Christ has done is expelled the demon, set us free to liberate and to order our lives according to truth. And that we have a power within us. Does not John say in another place, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? That's the Christian worldview. You are not a victim. And the cross of Jesus Christ has once for all eliminated the talk of victimization in the Christian community, I hope that we understand truly we have been liberated to serve the true and the living God. You have been set free, just as the children of Israel were set free in the Old Testament. They were brought up out of slavery in Egypt and set free. The cross of Jesus Christ sets us free to serve Him and to be true actors who can live out our lives and make decisions before a holy God. That's what the judgment of the cross means for the Christian. And it gives us the hope of eternal life. I've only been to Mount Vernon once and uh, Marlene and I went down some years ago. I don't remember whether we had the kids with us or not then. I don't know if they were home, I don't remember, but I know we were there. Because she was talking about the industry of Martha Washington. What an ind, uh, a woman of great labor and imagination. Uh, what, look at her gardens. Look at the home she had to keep. I think she could have been a general in the war. Quite a woman, quite a woman. General Washington was a man who was called the father of this country, and let me tell you that he was not called the father of this country because he thought we were victims. He was called the father of this country because he knew that we were more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And my friend, it is through the cross and God's judgment that we have that liberation. So you come with me, I pray, Palm Sunday and Maundy Thursday and Good Friday and Easter morning. And let us celebrate the great victory of Christ being raised from the dead. Amen.